Oh, Chris. Oh, Nim. Not Alpha Braga 4. <laughs> oh, yeah. Alpha Braga 4. Um, what's Alpha Braga 4? We're starting a mutiny. Welcome to the General Order One podcast, where we are discussing the Star Trek Strange New Worlds television show. I'm your host, Scott, and I'm joined by my longtime friends, Ben. Hello. And Jason. Hello. And today we are discussing season one, episode seven, which is entitled The Serene Squall. Well, before we get started, so the, 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 I guess the poster or whatever for this episode is, uh, it's Remy. It's the main character. It's the main bad guy in this episode. Did he look familiar to you guys at all? Uh, no, I didn't recognize him. He totally had a vibe of like, you know, an OG, like Star Trek one boss. Like it was something they were trying to recreate. And I looked all over the internet, like trying to figure out like, is this a throwback or a reference to something else? But well, he's, a, uh, he's an Orion. Is he? Yeah. I didn't. Anyway, the point is, is that like I was watching, I was like expecting this to be like a throwback episode and it's not. And I did a whole bunch of research trying to figure out like why this guy looks familiar and what his backstory is. But apparently he's an all new character. So I was just curious if you knew before we started that there was something else going on there. Yeah, no, it's he's just some Orion thug. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, let's get into it. The episode starts. Um, we actually hear a voiceover from Tapring. And she is at a criminal retreat center, a Vulcan criminal retreat center. And I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the name because it is crazy. Ankitshan or something like that. And uh, she is sort of walking, you know, they're outdoors and she's with probably four or five Vulcans and they're painting. So it looks kind of like she's at a uh, a painting class. Yeah. So the, the hardened criminals on Vulcan just need a little art therapy and everything's cool. Yeah, and so basically, if you remember from the last episode, Tapring mentions that she is um, essentially like a therapist. She she works with criminals and attempts to rehabilitate them. She makes mention that um, she is trying to get these hardened criminals to uh, abandon their ways of emotion and uh, come back to the ways of logic. And she says that emotions lead to thievery, abuse, and even murder. So I thought it was interesting that 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 they're using uh, paint therapy, like this is how they're rehabilitating these murderers. But it got me thinking, you know, because Vulcans are so incredibly logical. I mean, that's like their whole premise, right? Like, so what what do they do for fun, right? There's no, you know, you don't play a game if you're logical. Logarithms. You, yeah, right. So that's exactly what I'm thinking. Like the only thing you could you could play chess because it's an extremely logical game. You could yeah, you could study math all day long. You know, in some sense like painting is like the most fringe, but you know, still in that logical mindset of, you know, trying to create something. Yeah, I mean in the original series we see Spock playing a lot of the th- uh three-dimensional chess that they have. Uh, we also see him playing some kind of like a lyre or some, some kind of stringed instrument that he plays a couple times. So they, they've got ways of expressing themselves, but they're not yeah. party people. That's for sure. Uh, for bonus points, do you remember the, the Vulcan game strategy game that, uh, they play on, on oh, Voyager? God, no, I only know cause I'm watching it right now. It, it, they play call toe. 
It's like these, they look like nails and you have to like align them in like a geodesic form. It's very, it's very Vulcan. You know, we get a sense here, you know, T'Pring is talking about how emotions lead to all these horrible things. Uh, yeah, it's got to be pretty tough for the Vulcans to hang out with humans. <laughs> so it's no wonder they kind of hold us in uh, always a slight state of contempt. Right. Because, yeah, I mean, humans represent everything they think is horrible and evil and terrible. So. <laughs> They're doing a pretty good job of looking past their biases with us, all things considered. Yeah, that is true. Um, T'Pring mentions that uh, she's having a hard time um, making time for her relationship with Spock, but she has set some time aside to try and connect with him. Um, so she's actually on you know, a, a voice call with her, a video call with him, and she says that, I've been working on um, spicing up our relationship, and she's been researching human sex, human sexuality, and Spock, like, winces, and he almost, like, spits out his wine, like, it was the most, like, offensive thing, like, she could have said, like... Um, yeah, but, he's, he's shook. Like, yeah. He, he is speechless. So she's taking it upon herself, you know, her because she's full Vulcan and again, Spock is half Vulcan, half human. So she's taking it on herself to learn more about his culture and trying to uh, connect with him on a new level. And apparently uh, she's been reading the Kama Sutra or whatever it is that she's doing. He's all in. She lists three books, actually, that are like real books. Um, Tropic, Tropic of Cancer which is like supposedly uh, more focused on male sex. Um, The Fear of Flying, uh, which is a novel by Erica Jong, which is controversial for portraying female sexuality uh, and development of second wave feminism. And, but she lands on a a happy medium of the Argonauts, um, a book by uh, Maggie Nelson in uh, published in 2015. Um, so these are real books. He's apparently oh, interesting. Reading. It's it's well, Spock says that he hasn't read any of the books. You know, he's sort of trying to change the subject, like he's clearly uncomfortable. And uh, Tapring says, perhaps we should read some of these texts together. And Spock just says, as you wish. He's just trying to. He's like clearly very uncomfortable about this whole thing. I think we as as human males are, are meant to very much uh, identify with Spock in this, in this scene. Like, <laughs> here, let's read, let's read this, this self-help book together is, is I think horrifying. Oh gosh, any, any that is species. terrible. Right. Is there, is there any other, like, um, is to bring like a character in the OG series or? Yeah. She yeah. Is. yeah. Okay. Right. Cause it, it, in this episode, you're, they're definitely kind of like presenting some split, it, with them especially at the very end there's you know just a bit of a uh dis- dishonesty um, that happens so it seems like they're trying to create some division or oh, yeah something we're making some to... drama i mean so she is in the original series but she's way 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 more fleshed out even already in this show than she ever was in the original series she she's i believe only appears in one episode he was very and, much just an ancillary character in the yeah, original. Yeah, she shows up in, yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, by the way, Spock's married and we got to go back to Vulcan. <laughs> and he's yeah. never mentioned her before. <laughs> right. They're like, wait, like, what? You're married? Wh- wh- when did this happen? He's like, oh, I've always been married. Yeah. <laughs> They're just like, none of them have even heard about this. And then they end up going back to Vulcan. So, uh, well, she obviously means a lot to him uh, in the future um, episodes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
The next thing we see, uh, it cuts to the chapel and Spock walking in the hallway of the Enterprise, and uh, he has gone back to chapel and is essentially asking her for more relationship advice. And she kind of cautions him. He was, she's like, "Well, hang on. Last time I gave you advice, it didn't go so well. Are you sure?" And you know, he, he Spock mentions that he's still struggling with his, uh, and I use the quotation fingers here. He says his divergent cultures because his human side is leading him one way, and his Vulcan side is leading him another way. And, and clearly, Tapring is coming on very strong, and it's it's making him uncomfortable, so to speak. She he mentions that she's researching human sexuality and how that makes him uncomfortable which is a really weird thing to be talking to your coworkers about, but you know, Hey, whatever. Yeah. Except that's not what this is. I mean, again, we see that he needs, he needs advice and to confide in someone and he makes a beeline straight for nurse chapel. Yeah. He clearly holds her in very high regard. He he's got feelings for her. He is not. Not letting on. I don't think he realizes it. Yeah. Nurse Chapel's line is, Spock, are you telling me your girlfriend is moving too fast for you? Because he just doesn't know how to process all this new information. I think he just likes that she breaks his balls. Like she. Yeah. OK. All right. I mean, frankly, she just she's got spunk and she doesn't, you know, she just tells it like it is. And she's very direct, but she doesn't take him seriously at all. <laughs> you know, I think Spock needs a little bit of that. He's. Everybody sees him as this super, you know, serious and logical person. And they, you know, they don't really treat him like another. They don't treat him like a human. And she does. She says many times she likes Vulcans because, like, they're brutally honest. And she just appreciates his, like, kind of honest, you know, straightforward approach, I guess. I don't know. Ultimately, that's what she tells him to do is just to be honest. But she says don't don't stray too far from um, the truth and from honesty, because that's what essentially got you in trouble last time. So uh, just a quick scene of, of, you know, Spock going back to uh, chapel to get some uh, advice. And the next thing we see, we see the crew around uh, a dinner table and there is a, a new character and her name is Dr. Aspen. And it's worth noting, and I forget who does it. I think one of the characters introduces Doc Aspen, Dr. Aspen, I think it's Ortegas, and she refers to them as they. So she does not, so there, it, it's not pronounced, but there is a, there's a throwaway line about essentially pronouns. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of interesting that it was so quick. And I actually looked up the actress that plays Dr. Aspen, and she is an award-winning LGBTQ and trans actress. So um, I didn't even realize that until the second time I watched the episode. So is the is the actress she or they? You know, I I think she go, she's uh, a, she or she's a she. Right. Yeah. She goes by she. Yeah. yeah. But in the in the show, she go, they go by they, I guess. I think that they only say they once, but uh, I, I don't want to get hung up on pronouns, but I just thought it was yeah. interesting. It was very a quick thing. The crew had no problem with it, you know, just in in light of everything that's going on in 2022. I thought it was interesting that they addressed it. That's pretty cool. I wonder how many old school Star Trek fanboys are fuming about that one. Yeah, it makes me wonder. I don't know. I feel like that whole thing. Does anybody really care about? I mean, I know oh, there are people yeah, that are always going to get spun up, but I don't really know anybody that. Anyway, people really care about it. It's not like you're not your nose isn't really shoved in it. And and a character that like identifies as they is kind of the tamest thing that Star Trek 
could I, I do. guarantee you there were people who stopped watching the show because of <laughs> well i'm sure there's some but well to get back to the the plot um the enterprise is on the edge of non-federation space so they are at the very very edge of what the the federation um the lines of what they they have jurisdiction in and they mentioned that there were some colonial ships out here that appeared to have lost power. There were three ships, and they are going to go investigate and see if they can, you know, perhaps rescue these colonists or figure out what happened to them. Yeah, and she's some kind of liaison. She's, you know, she works with these colonial groups and provides them with support, but um, it's never quite clear, like, what her role is or what she's doing out here. She used to be a, a counselor on Starbase 12 is what they say, but she's doing humanitarian work now. Yeah, and what, what exactly that means is not clear. Yeah, is some she sort providing of outreach. counseling? Is she right. doing logistics and making sure they get supply? I mean, it's just never quite clear what, what she's doing, but she's supporting these colonists some. Um, so Pike says that they're going to go investigate, you know, on, on the, on the outskirts of Federation space, it's, it, they call it the wild, wild West. So they're, the, the rules are not super clear out there. So the enterprise getting involved is, uh, I don't want to say controversial, but it's, it's problematic or it's risky. And at one point clear that they're on their own, if they go outside the Federation's borders. At one point, um, Dr. Aston says, I see why Starfleet calls you their Boy Scout. And, like, Pike defers, and he was like, what? No, that's not true. And I think at one point, Una says, oh, yeah, it's actually in your file. <laughs> so, yeah, and he's uh, like, you guys don't call me a Boy Scout, do you? And yet they all, uh, yeah, <laughs> everybody kind of, like, demurs. But, yeah, Pike gets kind of aw shucks about being called a boy scout so kind of like when una was like you guys don't call me where fun goes to die right right yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at least this nickname makes sense and is one you yeah. might actually call him yeah um so they all are sitting around this dinner table and they get called by the bridge uh or get called to the bridge by laon they appear to have found some damaged colonist ships um, so everyone that was at this dinner goes to the bridge and they're looking out you know, the main view screen and they see a bunch of essentially debris. They do a scan for life signs. Um, there are no life signs. Um, there's only two ships worth of debris, though. So there's, uh, they're thinking that maybe one of the ships has escaped and that maybe that's why there are no life signs is perhaps they all um, escaped. Um, oh, it's worth mentioning that uh, previously they, that this quadrant of space that they're in uh, on the edge of Federation territory, um, there's been a lot of pirate activity. And so there was some concern that um, maybe pirates had attacked these ships. Um, there was a comment about whether or not it, they were, you know, hijacked or there were, you know, items were stolen off of these colony ships. And, and they basically said that there was nothing worth stealing on these ships. They were barely surviving. Um, but there was there has been reports of crews being sold into slavery. So there may not have been, you know, any valuable technology on these ships, but the, the bodies on the ships um, do have value. So there is concern that these colonists are, are in the process being pro being sold into slavery. And predictably this gets Pike fired up as it should. And there, there's never any question that they're going to go after these ships. It's almost immediately. He says, okay, we're going in. 
It is worth noting that um, Spock reminds him that entering non-Federation space requires Starfleet approval. Unfortunately, the location that they are in space, there are no subspace relays near, which means that it's going to take Starfleet. It takes a message two days to get to Starfleet. So it's not really feasible for them to ask Starfleet, wait for permission and then go investigate if they want to catch these um, bad guys in time. So uh, Pike does what uh, a good captain does. And he says, well, damn the regulations. We're going to go in and we're going to see what we can do. Um, he orders them to go in and investigate because he wants to keep the colonists off the auction block. Well, the funny part is he, he sends in the request to Starfleet, but then he just doesn't wait for them to respond. Right. He's like, okay, well, we'll put in the request, but then we're going right now. So. <laughs> it's better to ask uh, forgiveness and permission, I suppose. Although in this case, it sounds like he's planning on doing both. Right. He's he's doing a little CYA. He's got, but he's got both sides covered. So, yeah. What we see next is um, Spock walking down the hallway and you hear, um, I mean, he's walking down, you know, just a regular hallway and there's, you know, other uh, crew members passing him on both sides. And you hear like this crazy loud rock music, like out in the hall. And um, he knocks on the door, you know, hits the doorbell for the door and it's Captain or it's Dr. Aspen's cabin. Yeah. And I'm not sure how she heard the doorbell. Yeah, because it was yeah, that crazy music loud, is right? insanely loud, but somehow she hears him immediately answers. So I think he makes some sort of comment about why wow, you like loud music or something to that effect. And she was like, oh, yeah, I used to do a lot of club hopping during my academy days. So she's apparently like a raver or something. Um, I did note that um, she's wearing a belly shirt and she's flashing her belly button. So she's. I guess it's not well. I guess if she said she went to the academy, she has something to do in Starfleet. So she is in Starfleet, Starfleet, but now has left. So she's a civilian. She can you know wear whatever. But yeah, it's it's a little bit racy as far as Star Trek costumes go. She has a very non-standard Starfleet uniform. I mean, and I mean, I do mean a little bit racy. It's not really at all, but considering it's just just her flash and her belt. Yeah, yeah. Um. Briefly, Spock and Dr. Aspen dis- discuss Kalinar, which is the uh, Vulcan, I guess it's a it's a ritual where uh, the Vulcans essentially, because Vulcans are not born entirely logical. They are born with some emotions, but there is, I, I what I took away from this is there's some sort of like, like a puberty style of ceremony where you swear off your emotions. Yeah, it's their logic bar mitzvah. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, she she says um, uh, he hasn't done it and uh, he hasn't snipped his emotions yet. So it's kind of uh, kind of like a emotional vasectomy. There you go. Uh, it's Spock's line is Kalinar offers clarity an ability to see oneself without bias. I very much look forward to mine. So it, it's really just the Vulcan way to fully embrace logic as your your primary faceted life and and put more of the emotions behind you. But I guess it is worth pointing. I mean, I don't know how old is Spock supposed to be in this? Probably like mid twenties, something like that. And he has not had a colonar yet. So who knows? Uh, we see, uh, as the enterprise continues to investigate this asteroid field where the, uh, the debris was found. They uh, get a distress signal deeper in this asteroid field, but they are worried that it might be a, a pirate trap. 
Um, so they are on. Uh, I'm not on red alert. I was going to say they're on high alert. They are. They are definitely being very cautious. So uh, Pike orders uh, Ortegas, but again he calls her Erica. He calls her by her first name, not by, which just feels weird to me. You know, being on you know a formal. Yeah, and there's, like that. I don't recall where it happens in the episode, but there's a point in the episode where, again, it's it's during, you know, they're on duty, they're on the bridge doing whatever. It's not like they're in someone's quarters, and someone refers to Captain Pike as Chris. So yeah, this crew is very very informal. I think well, like Una calls him Chris a couple times, but on the bridge, sure, yeah, no, yeah. It's I mean, it's one thing when they're you know. Off they're on at a, dinner. Yeah, 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 they're at dinner or they're talking in his quarters or, you know, whatever it is when they're alone. But there's a point where they're they're on the bridge. I think it's on the bridge. It may be somewhere else. But the point is, there's a group of people and it's not an informal setting. And she calls him Chris. So, yeah, they're they've they've they're not much on ceremony, it seems. Well, the point is, is that uh, Pike orders Erica to investigate. He wants her to go in and look about look for this distress signal and see what it is. Because they're concerned that perhaps the the colonists have found a way to fashion some sort of distress signal, and uh, Ortega says, uh, "How do you want me to proceed, sir? First date or third date?" And yeah. he re- he responds, "Blind date." And she doesn't even bat an eye. She just says, "Proceeding with caution, sir." Yeah. <laughs> uh, as she's flying, a couple of things struck me. One, just you know, I mean, this is just a TV thing. It's it's always going to be a thing, but. Uh, space is way more empty than what we're seeing uh, as they're flying through this asteroid field. Um, you know, an asteroid field, they're not that close together. Right. <laughs> like, they're still, like, tens or hundreds or thousands of kilometers apart. But, uh, you know, in this case, they're they're having to duck and weave through these things. And the other piece is uh, we get a little glimpse of the interface she has for steering the Enterprise. Um, which is something that's been kind of, you know, historically Star Trek shows have really not given us a good look at the controls for anything just because why bother that now you've got all these details you have to stick with. And if you don't do it the same way next time, us nerds are going to call you out that, Oh, well, you know, that button did something else in episode 23 G, <laughs> you know? So they, they generally just kind of hand wave how the enterprise is, is operated. Uh, but we actually see kind of over her shoulder from Pike's view how she's steering and she's got it's busy, it's a touch interface and it's kind of like a, a circular interface where she's got her fingers on it and she's positioning them to kind of steer the ship one way or another. And uh, so it was kind of cool that we got to see that. But at the same time, I was thinking that's a terrible interface for controlling the ship in three dimensions. If, you know, give her give her a joystick or a gamepad or something. I told Roland that several times. The one thing you never see in any Star Trek inter- interface ever is a mouse, right? Like, yeah, if you, 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 they're always like using their fingers to, you know, right. which is which is fine. But it, they're just not precise enough. Like if you need to, you know, really feather touch, you know, right. something or, or move things around, it's just trying to do it with your hands. Is, I mean, there's a reason they haven't developed hand interfaces yet. Yeah. The only exception is in uh, Star Trek Insurrection, one of the TNG movies where, yeah, they have to go do this complicated maneuver and Riker's in command and he gives some, I can't remember what the command is, but 
he gives the computer some command and this whole console like shoots out of the floor with a joystick on top of it. I remember that because I had that joystick for my computer. I remember going, dude, I totally have that. And it's just, yeah. yeah, it's just like an old flight stick that yeah, right. <laughs> he uses. And it, it's a, it's so, it comes off so silly and stupid in the moment in the movie. But when you think about it, you're like, yeah, if you needed to do these precision maneuvers, you'd want something like that. So. Right. I mean, that's what fighter pilots have, have right? right? I mean, or, yeah. you know, F1 race cars, right? That's all high tech. Yeah. Anyway, so the uh, Enterprise proceeds into this asteroid field, and uh, ultimately what ends up happening is a, a laser net essentially is. What, uh, what? You don't want to talk about the interface for the helm controls anymore? <laughs> well, we could. We, look, we could talk. We could be here for three hours talking just about helm controls. We got to get it back on track. Okay. Get, let's do a special, just a. A special episode at the end of the season just about the helm. It's just about helm controls? All right, I'm yeah. on board. Okay. I might be out on that one. I'll, I'll have to check my schedule. All right. Uh, LaserNet captures the Enterprise, um, and it, it is slowly shrinking. It's essentially going to crush the Enterprise. It's a long, drawn-out scene. Uh, ultimately, they determine that they have to shoot one of the asteroids, you know, the main asteroid to get yeah. the, the thing, you know, to not uh, cause a chain, react, chain reaction. You know, when I first saw this this net come out, uh, I thought we were going to be dealing with the Tholians. Oh, that's a good, a, that's a good point. From the, yes. first, from the original series who make this, like, energy web that cat, captures the Enterprise. So that was my first thought when they when that showed up. But I don't know, maybe it was just an homage or something. Ultimately, you know, it comes down to a decision. They have to uh, guess because the ship is going to get crushed. Which one is the uh, the main asteroid? Um, it comes down to two. Pike tells uh, Spock to go with his gut and just shoot whatever asteroid he feels like because they don't have a whole lot of time to study this, and otherwise the whole enterprise is going to get destroyed. Uh, obviously, Spock shoots the right one. The net collapses, and they are good to go. He's very reluctant to do that. He is, yes, and that's that's what happens in the next scene. So the next scene we see, we see Spock in his quarters, kind of studying or reading. I can't remember. And Doctor Aspen arrives, and she offers to talk to him and give him some help on going with his gut. She said, clearly, that was very difficult for you, and you looked very uncomfortable when you uh, when you did it. And so she just, just kind of talks, you know, wants to give him a little counseling. Because, again, that's her background. She was a counselor before she became a humanitarian. And so she's trying to help him, you know, deal with this confusion that he had. She gives him some decent advice. Yeah. At one point, she says, well, maybe you're neither human nor a Vulcan. She really is kind of what I took away from the scene. I kind of felt like she was kind of poking at him. And I wrote down, what kind of counselor is she? Like she wasn't she offered him some good advice, but then she was really just like poking and prodding. Like clearly this guy's really uncomfortable about that. And she's just kind of grilling him about other stuff. So, yeah, she wasn't counseling so much as she was giving advice, which is not the same thing. Right. Um, right. You know, she wasn't just listening to him and kind of, you know, giving some feedback. She was kind of driving the conversation. But I mean, she makes a good point. She's like, hey, you don't have to be just a Vulcan or just a human. You can be something else. You get the subtext there, right? What's up? No, I don't. Can you elaborate? Um, being non-binary, like not forcing yourself oh, into a social expectation. Um, yeah. So it's like, I think it's a bit of a 
I didn't Sorry. put that together at all, but now that you mentioned that, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. That's a really good point. I didn't. Yeah, I'm with Ben. I did not put two and two together. Good job, Jason. Well, it has to be a little bit of an after-school special when they have you know a non-binary character on and some subtext there, but it's a good message, I think. Well, maybe I'm just obtuse, but at least for me, it 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 didn't. It wasn't uh, you know overdone because I didn't pick it up at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was subtle. It was very subtle. Sure. What we see next, we cut back to the bridge and uh, Ortegas has taken the Enterprise a little bit deeper into the asteroid field. And at this point, she is, yeah, she's flying the ship essentially manually, like Ben was saying, with the, you know, the, I don't know, the sort of weird 3D controls. And she actually makes mention, she said, this is like a third date. <laughs> so they're, they, she, they are proceeding with the, you know, like the that analogy. Yeah, and Pike asks if she needs a break. And essentially, you know, hey, you've been you've been doing this precision flying for a while now. Are you, are you good? Do you need to to take a break and have someone stand in for you? And she she insists that she's got it. And she, I think she even she, she's like, no, I like this. Like this is, yeah. You know, I'm sure they don't get to do it very often. Yeah, I think she says something like that. Like, yeah, I don't get a chance to to really put the Enterprise through its paces very often. So this is this is fun. This is what I get. This is what I get suited up for. Right. Uh, La'on picks up a signal of a th- of the third ship. So they believe they have found the third colonist ship. They make mention that there are, they do a quick scan of said ship and there are 200 life signs in the cargo hold, which is just about the right amount of people that were missing from the colony ships. Um, and the 200 life signs are in the cargo hold. And they may even mention that there are 30 other life signs, you know, on the rest of the ship. So uh, the implication here being that the pirates have captured the colonists and that they are piloting the ship and that they've put these 200 colonists in the cargo hold. So Una, Pike, and La'an uh, form an away mission. They are going to go investigate and try and rescue these people before they get sold into slavery. And uh, I believe it's in... I believe it's in the the transporter room, but Una says unauthorized trips into non-Federation space, heading up away missions. Someone's playing fast and loose with the rules today. So I I think this is like a little nod to the captain going on away missions, which makes absolutely no sense in the grand scheme of Star Trek that you would send your most important person out on an unknown mission. By the time of the next generation, we've we've established that that's Starfleet regulation, that the captain's not supposed to leave the ship. Uh, and that continues into I mean, DS9. It's not really relevant, but in, into Voyager, we see that, too, that Janeway doesn't go down on the away missions, um, which, yeah, absolutely makes sense. I just thought this was kind of a, a, a cool in-world, in-universe way to to have them realize, yeah, this is really stupid, you know, sending the captain but you know hey it's it's hollywood they got to make a tv show so it works sure. um so the away team beams over to this ship they are going to investigate and try and beam the colonists out and they beam into uh what it looks kind of like a warehouse it didn't necessarily look like a ship but um it could have just been a really big ship it's a set you know, yeah but it, it probably is in a warehouse or something yeah uh, ultimately, they beam over, and there are no colonists there, so they realize that this has been a ruse. And when they start to look around and they're like, yeah, there's no colonists here, this is not what we thought it was, 
so the I think Pike be, calls back to the Enterprise and says, yeah, there's nobody here. And they say, okay, well, we're going to beam you out because something's definitely up. But right before they're about to beam out the away team, the comms go down and uh, they do not get beamed out. They end up staying where they are. And uh, at the same time, uh, a bunch of bad guys have beamed onto the Enterprise. So somehow they were able to block the return uh, transporters and at the same time uh, invade the Enterprise. We see uh, the green-faced guy, whose name is Remy, who was on the poster for this episode, uh, comes up and he uh, essentially starts talking to Captain Pike and he says... Well, they're surrounded at this point, too. All, all the goons have, have come out of the woodwork, and they're now completely surrounded by angry-looking pirates with guns. Right. And the, the main, the leader guy, his, his name is Remy, he laughs because they have fallen for his trap, and he says, Welcome to Serene Squall. And if you'll remember, the title of the episode is The Serene Squall, the Serene Squall being the uh, name of the ship that the pirates are flying so we cut back to the bridge and we see the uh, access doors, I guess the turbo lift doors on the bridge open and a, a grenade rolls out. Um, right about this time, the bridge crew realizes they've been boarded and Una locks down all of the Enterprise systems um, so that the incoming pirates will not have control of the ship. There is a kind of like uh, everybody on board or everybody on the bridge, they get out their phasers and they're essentially trying to repel these pirates. And I wrote down that Spock subdues three pirates like a boss. Like he just kind of kicks it into high gear and just kicks some pirate booty. And at one point he like grabs this pirate and literally like throws him across the bridge. Yeah, yeah. he hurls and a guy. Halfway across the bridge. Do do Vulcans have, you know, super strength or whatever? Okay. Not, not super, like, they're not, you know, they can't, like, beam a, bend a steel beam in half or anything. Yeah. But, yes, they're quite a bit stronger than humans. Anyway, the point is, is that Spock takes out three of them, and he basically throws one of them completely across the bridge. So he's able to hold his own, um, but most of the bridge essentially gets taken over. They ultimately just get overwhelmed. We get a, ner a nerve pinch from Spock in this scene as well. That's true. He does. He nerve nice pinches. Move. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think at one point Aspen, uh, Dr. Aspen gets in between the pirates and Spock and she actually gets shot in the back and sort of collapses into one of the turbo lifts, her and Spock, and they escape on one of the turbo lifts. Yeah. And, uh, you know, through this whole scene, my my main thought was, Maybe the crew of the Enterprise at this point is much smaller than we're used to, but they take over the ship really, really easily with presumably a fairly small number of people. Yeah, that's true. You never do see a ton of pirates. You only get the impression it's like, yeah, 30 or 40 pirates, maybe. Yeah, and there's supposed to be a, at least a couple hundred people in the Enterprise. So, yeah, the logistics here didn't really add up, but. Yeah, that was kind of my thought too. I I actually looked up like how many people are on the Enterprise, and it's like around two hundred. Some say like four hundred or something like that. So, yeah, I was like questioning how easily they took it over. You know. Well, I, I know in Voyager, I mean, Voyager has I think it was a crew of like a hundred and sixty people. Yeah, well, Voyager's a much smaller, a smaller ship. 
but how many people were on uh, the TNG Enterprise? Oh, like a thousand. That's what I thought, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It was a, yeah. Okay. Hmm. Um, I want to know, you know, where, where's Luan through all this? That's a good point. I mean, this is her job and she's, we know she's got training. Yeah. It never cuts to her. Yeah. Her next performance review is going to be uncomfortable. That's true. Right. <laughs> Wait, she didn't go down with Pike or did she? No, she's not in this episode at all. Oh, weird. No, Lawn is in this episode. She's got a couple of voiceovers, but she's not. Oh, does yeah, she? Right. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Anyway. Well, there, she's so effective. I completely forgot she was in the yeah, episode. Right. Um, so we cut back to uh, Remy and they have uh, and the pirates have Pike essentially tied up to a chair and they're essentially beating him up. Uh, they are attempting to get the Enterprise lockdown codes. They want to get control of the ship so that they can take it you know, and salvage it or take it and sell it or do whatever. And, and not just like they're pummeling Pike in the face repeatedly with really no sign of damage. (laughs) Like, you know, you're, you know, you're, it's Anson Mount. You want him to look good. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to get him too beat up, but uh, I I feel like the damage to his face would be significant considering the number of full on punches to the face we see him take. Ultimately, uh, Remy has a good line. He says, uh, I'm going to whatever you're going to do. I want to punch him last because I want to wreck that great jawline. So like even Remy like acknowledges yeah. that this guy has a good looking jawline. Ultimately, um, I, I think Remy is eating some food and I think he spits it on Pike's face and even Pike goes, oh, that's gross. You eat that stuff. Yeah. And so um, Pike, you know, throughout this whole thing, is rather unflappable, even though he's getting the crap kicked out of him. And he says, I'll tell you what, let's discuss. He doesn't even those. look nervous. Like yeah, he, right. he is completely in his element. Cracking jokes. And yeah, he's yeah. super Although charming. I guess he, he knows he's not going to die. That's true. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about that. So he can sit there and take a beating all day. Hmm. Okay. He can go on away missions. He can do. That's yeah. just, he's got nothing to worry about. Um, ultimately Pike offers to discuss the enterprise lockdown codes. Uh, he's, he's like, well, how about I make your crew a good meal? Cause clearly you suck at cooking. Cause this food that he spat at right. him was, was really gross. Yeah. We can see Pike is, is looking for the angles immediately. Well, I, I mean, at first I was with you. I was like, oh, he's just, you know, he's just making jokes. He's not taking this seriously that he's just going to, you know, wait until they come and rescue him or whatever. But then, like, I realized, like, he's he's serious. Like, he wants to go cook a meal. Yeah. And I didn't realize that until I watched the second time, because if you watch the recap of the episode, it shows Pike cooking for all of the all of his crew on the first episode. So they're setting the stage that that Pike is actually a good cook. So right. he has cooking skills. And so he was being serious. He was like, look, I'll cook your crew a good meal and I'll well prove to you that you're a terrible cook. Ultimately, that's what Pike does is he ends up cooking a meal for these pirates because they don't get a good meal. He cooks them some sort of weird chili and he's got it in a big pot. And he, you know, the crew members are coming through the line one by one and he scoops a a scoop of chili into this guy's bowl. And the guy kind of like looks down at the bowl and he looks back at Pike and Pike gives him a second scoop. Yeah. But the whole time he's just like, hey, you know, isn't this better than the crap that Ray's been feeding you? You know, he's he's. Turning this crew against the captain pretty obviously. Yeah. And I guess Remy's just an idiot because he doesn't do anything to try to stop it. 
Well, so, I mean, Pike is, you know, he's not in, locked in this chair anymore. He's given free range of this kitchen. He's made them dinner. And so, you know, Remy is there and he says, you know, come here, let's, let's have a conversation. You know, you're too, you're too smart to let all your, you know, let all these people, you know, talk, you know, not, not take you seriously. So he's trying to like level with this guy. He's trying, you know, like you said, he's looking for an angle and he says, you know, I don't know what you want to do, you know. That that the Federation is willing to look the other way to whatever happens in non-Federation space, like we don't care. But I'm telling you, if you take, if you capture the the flagship of the Federation, like the entire Federation will come looking for you, and it's not going to be good. So he's trying to just like you know, just let us go, and we'll forget about this kind of thing. And Remy is like, no, 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 I'm not having it. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna sell your ship, and I'm gonna sell your crew as slaves uh, to the Klingons. They are interested in slaves. And uh, Remy, his uh, the, his second in command, the black lady, it, she overhears him mention the Klingons, and she kind of like shoots a nervous glance over at Remy and Pike as soon as the mention of the Klingons comes up. So she is clearly not too happy to be dealing with the Klingons. This early in the show, the the Klingons are very, very aggressive, and they do not have a good track record with any other races. So the, even talking to or dealing with the Klingons is, is kind of a big deal. Yeah, we, we clearly get that she's the brains of the outfit, and she's kind of realized that it, well, this could easily go badly. You know, if we go to the Klingons, yeah, maybe we'll make some money, but they could turn on us and just kill everybody. Well, that's not quite how I got it. I got, you know, what we learn later is we learn Remy is there's a reason he's not very a very good captain. He's not not a very good leader. He's not super smart. And so, like some some crew, and especially this this lady, um, you know, picks up on his decision making and starts questioning him um, because. We learn, you know, spoiler, he's not the real captain, so. Well, let's, yeah, let's well, let's get to that. So we cut back to the Enterprise, which is still mid-ambush, I, I suppose you can call it. And we see uh, Chapel in the hallway, and she is uh, at, over on one of the walls on one of the access panels. She is attempting to send an SOS, um, but she's having a hard time. I don't know if it's because the ship's in lockdown or because she's a, yeah, a she doctor. Yeah, she the system because yeah. everything's locked out. At one point, um, she gets two pirates sneak up behind her and, you know, they tell her to hold, you know, put your hands up. And she does. And I, and I took note that when she puts her hands up, one of her hands has the weird kind of tattoos on the the insides of her fingers. And her other hand has kind of like a black line tattoo, like at her wrist, kind of like a, a bracelet. And I'm pretty sure those are tattoos on the actress. They are not tattoos that I would assume a doctor would have. Um, it wasn't really, you know, part of the plot or anything. It was just interesting that I, I noted that because I hadn't seen her hands before. So I don't know if that'll come up in the future. But I think perhaps that actress has um, tattoos on her hands. Anyway, the, uh, the pirates come up behind her and they're going to, I don't know, handcuff her or whatever. And she whips around on the, the main pirate and she hyposprays him and knocks him out. And the other guy sees that and starts to raise his gun to take her out. And she just like straight on like dive tackles him and knocks this guy down on the floor. 
And then there's, you know, she kind of scrambles for her hypo spray, but she ultimately like hypo sprays the second guy too and knocks both of them. Well, there's a great moment where like, yeah, the, the guy's gun goes flying and her hyper spray goes flying and that's what she goes for. She's got her choice of trying to dive for the gun or dive for the hypo spray. She goes for the hypo spray, gets it, and then knocks the guy out. So we see her her medical training kick into gear here. She doesn't even think about going for the gun. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's a good point. Yeah, good call. We see uh, Spock and Aspen in sick bay because they have escaped off the turbo lift from the bridge. Spock gives her a hypo spray of, I don't know, I assume ibuprofen or whatever. And he basically says, uh, you know, the... You were shot by a phaser on stun, so it's not going to kill you, but you'll probably be sore for a little while. Aspen asks Spock about the escape pods. She was like, you know, this ship is getting overrun. I've seen what these pirates can do. We need to get out of here. It is not worth fighting. Like, we cannot. And she says, you don't want to get captured by these guys. Yes. Which, again, like you said, I mean, even if this has a small crew, this has a crew of, I don't know, let's just say it's 120, 130, which would be small for a ship this size. Again, there's only 30, maybe 40 pirates top. So you're outnumbering them three to one. Like, I don't know. It's not clear. Like, do they have some amazing technology? Like, how are they so powerful? But drop on the away team. And so, you know, they took out some of your leadership. But yeah, you really should be able to fight this off. Um, Spock says, uh, because Aspen wants to find the escape pods, Spock says, abandoning a ship as powerful as the Enterprise to criminals is not an acceptable option. So he doesn't even entertain trying to go to the escape pods. He's not going to leave the Enterprise to criminals like this. The implication being, and, and we've certainly seen it in other Star Trek, is that you know, if it really comes down to it of the Enterprise ending up in bad guy hands, they will... Uh, initiate the self-destruct and that's you know if all the crew has to go down it's better than giving your flagship to the enemy essentially you know that was another thing i was thinking about as i was watching this is you know it's like you know they could have maybe gotten gotten out of the whole plot hole with how did these guys take over the ship with well they've got a lot of the bridge crew held hostage right now they could you know potentially just say Uh hey you know you guys need to give us control of the ship or we're going to kill all your your away team but you know, Starfleet makes it very clear that they expect you to die on the job if, <laughs> uh, you know, if the ship is at risk, the ship comes before you do. So uh, presumably Pike would never go along with that, and uh, Una would not uh, be willing to trade the ship for the crew. Dr. Aston makes mention that her husband was a Vulcan and that he had skipped his colonar, so he still had his emotions intact. And she says that he was killed by the Serene Squall. And she makes mention, she said, Logic told him to fight back that day. I wish he would have let himself be scared, because if he had been scared, then perhaps he wouldn't have died. He would have chose to run instead of fighting. So there's a throwback again to the Kalinar, and, you know, she's sort of appealing to Spock's confusion about his emotions and, you know, where he, he lands with that. Yeah, so he, she's she's clearly trying to get him to just try to escape from these guys instead of standing up to them. We cut back to, and this is this is where this the, the episode really like kicked into high gear for me. We cut back to the Serene Squall, and one of um, Remy's goons throws Pike into this cell, and he says, "Oh well, good news. I convinced them." Uh, to sell us to the Klingons and everybody look, you know, his crew kind of looks at him like, wait, what? And, uh, he kind of like gives a, 
he kind of gives Una a look essentially, you know, he, like they have a, like he has a plan and he's like telegraphing it to her. And she says, Oh no, she's not alpha brag a four. And he says, Oh yes. And so they apparently have, you know, I, I assume it's between the two of them, not a, a Starfleet thing. This has come up before is the implication. Like the, he's, he's done this playbook before. And, and he's so very my excited question is, about it. Yeah. He's loving this, but how many times have you lost your ship to pirates, Chris? Right. <laughs> like you've got a whole like called play for when yeah. pirates take over your ship. Uh, so what they decide to do is that they're going to start a mutiny because clearly uh, Remy is not the strongest leader. His people are not entirely behind him. So they are going to attempt to get the crew to mutiny and uh, maybe perhaps take over the, the serene squall. Yeah, because his cooking is bad. Because, right, because his cooking is so bad and his people are so tired of him. Um, about this time, uh, we see that uh, Chapel, or we see uh, Spock and Aps, Aspen have made it to engineering. Spock had made mention that he can get control of the ship again in engineering with his um, codes. So they make it to engineering and Chapel is already there. And she has taken out a couple pirates who are on the floor in engineering. And I think Spock kind of gives her the nod like, oh, is this your handiwork? And she was like, yeah. Um, they ultimately they move the command control back or to two engineering so they can send a distress signal and they can, you know, do a couple things. And so Spock is checking one computer. Chapel's check, checking another computer. And uh, next thing you see is uh, the controls have been reverted back to the bridge. And we see the camera pans back and uh, Dr. Aspen has two phasers pointed at Spock and Chapel. And dun, 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 Dr. Aspen, it turns out to be a traitor. And her real name is Captain Angel. So she is actually the real leader of the pirates. Who knew someone with a face tattoo would turn out to be a villain? That's, well, I was just going to say, are there any face tattoos that are not villains, but there's Chicote from Voyager, so... Oh, that's true. Um, but yes, uh, clearly she has been a bad guy all along. And so, yeah, like you said, she's been trying to uh, lead Spock to uh, get off of the ship. But he was not playing along, so she had to change her game plan. And I'll say I wasn't I wasn't exactly shocked by this turn of events, but I didn't necessarily see it coming either. Right. Like she seemed like. She seemed like some of the things she was doing was a little strange, but I I don't think I really thought, okay, she's one of the pirates. Yeah. Uh, mostly just because how on earth would this work? What? She just shows up and says, hey, I'm Dr. Aspen. There's these colonists you don't know about, but they're in trouble. I need you to have the flagship come with me. I, I mean, it did work. I don't know. I, I know mean... how. Like... Yeah, I don't know. Nobody thought they don't have a picture of Dr. Aspen. <laughs> I thought back to like the moment where she was telling uh, Spock to like go with his gut to shoot one of those um, nodes on the net. And if he did, he picked the wrong one. Apparently they would explode and they would yeah, just and all die. She was die. on the bridge. Yeah, they, right. So that was, seems like a risky move. And also she gets shot by one of them with a phaser you know, on their way, uh, on their on the way escaping. So yeah, there's like, this seems like a very risky plan for sure. Well, I mean, for what it's worth, I mean, the enterprise is the flagship. So if you're going to capture a ship, you know, hey, that's the sure. one that's going to be worth the most money. So maybe you're willing to take a couple risks. 
or what's more important than the enterprise, the flagship love, love. (laughs) So that, that's where, that's where this goes next is we see, uh, we cut back to the bridge and now, uh, uh, angel is, she is sitting in the captain's chair. She is, uh, she has her goons essentially at the helm she says, let's test out the phasers and she shoots all the phasers and she goes, Ooh, this is fun. And she's just a little way more animated than I was expecting. She's very excited. Yeah. She, she goes mustache twirling vaudeville villain really yes. quick. Oh yes. I, I loved it. Actually, I got like con vibes, you know, or like, okay. They, I, you could tell they were going for something. Yeah. Just, yeah, just like, yeah, mustache swirling is pretty accurate. I, I think it goes without saying, but Angel says that the colonists were imaginary. They never existed. The whole thing was a trap. So they do um, verbally say that there, there never were any colonists. So there's no risk of anyone getting die or getting killed or getting left behind. Ultimately, she, <laughs> she calls... Um, you know, rather than calling the Klingons or rather than calling, you know, somebody to come and take the Enterprise, she calls to Pring, who is again at her painting class, and she says, Hey, I want to do a prisoner trade. I have your fiance Spock, and you have a Vulcan that I want, and his name is Zavarius. So she proceeds to tell to bring that she needs to negotiate a trade with, you know, her, I don't know, what was it that with whatever her friend um, with, yeah, whatever the criminal retreat center, you know, like you need to go to the, you need to go to the top and we need to do this trade or I'm going to kill your husband. And she was like, well, you know, I can't do that because that would disgrace my family and I would lose my job and blah, 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 you know, and all you have is my husband or my fiance. And, you know, Angel said something to the effect of, yeah, but you're bonded to him for life. You essentially have to make this trade. So she's appealing to her emotionally, you know, about this is your fiance and you really need to do something about that. And and Spock says, oh, I don't think that's going to work because yeah, she's never going to. Yeah, she'll never go for this. She's going to be driven by logic and she's not going to go for what you're proposing. And Angel says, oh, you know, I think she will. And it turns out Angel's right. So, yeah, T'Pring's a little more ruled by her emotions than she likes to pretend, apparently. Angel's line is, seriously? I've been using emotions to sway you all day. You know, she was like, and yeah. then she like does that fake cry voice where she's like, oh, the poor colonists. And she basically points out that she's been, you know, leading mm-hmm. Spock around all day because of his emotions. Yeah, she, the way she reacts to when T'Pring says, oh, like, intimidation won't work on me she seems like had to have like disdain for that she seems so annoyed and disrespectful oh, oh right sure you guys are totally logical so 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 there's a very like there there's a there's sticking point for her yeah or the vulcan logic for sure right we see uh we cut back to the serene squall and they uh pike and and crew are in the jail, the brig. I mean, it kind of looks like a jail cell. It doesn't look much like a regular Star Trek big brig with a laser door. Yeah, just um, a fenced-in area of the cargo hold. Yeah, and we hear over the loudspeakers of the Serene Squall, Remy saying that they are preparing to meet the Klingons. So again, the implication being that they're going to sell them in, for into slavery. 
And we see uh, Pike and Ubenga and Una talking about how bad of a leader Remy is like to themselves, but they're saying it loud enough that the crew outside can hear. So they're, they're setting the seeds for like, dude, you know, if he's going to go and talk to these Klingons, like who's he going to sell out next? Like they're clearly, you know, setting the stage for this mutiny. Yeah. And I, and I, and I've noted that Ortega's actually insults Remy's cooking again. So they're really hammering home, like how terrible of a leader Remy is. Yeah. And this is not subtle at all. And the pirates are apparently they're susceptible to it. So. The other thing that I took note on this was um, Ortegas and Ubenga show. Oh, at one point, Ubenga's like scanning Pike's head to make sure that he didn't get brain damage from getting punched. Um, but Ortegas and Ubenga were not on the original away mission. So I don't know where, how they showed up in this prison cell, if they beamed them over later, maybe. Yeah. Well, same with, uh, was, did Una, Una. go in the initial? Thing? No, she wasn't either. Yeah. No. Yeah. So. Yeah, the implication is when they took the control of the Enterprise, the, the folks that they captured, they've sent over here. The the original away team was Una, Pike, and La'on. That's what my notes say. And now you see Ubanga and Artegas. Anyway, it's not important. The point is that there's more people that they have um, taken over well, to the Serene squad. What couldn't have been on the original away mission. Oh, you're right. Locks out the systems. No, you're right. You're Anyway, it's not important. But the, so, so they've, they've captured people and brought them over here as they've done. Yes. We see, um, uh, so the, I don't even know if her character, I mean, she must have a name, but the, you know, Remy's number two, the black lady kind of, she's listening the, to the, all the this. one smart pirate. What's her name, Jason? Oh, Fran. Fran. Fran, basically she like, she's listening. She's kind of like giving him the side eye. She's clearly listening, but she was like, you know, go back to your whatever, you know, she's, she's, she heard them, but she's not buying in quite yet. She we, she clearly thinks that Remy's a moron and she's not wrong, right. uh, but she doesn't really want to trust these Starfleet types. So we we cut back to the bridge and we see that Tapring has arrived. So I mean I don't know how much time is supposed to have elapsed, but it seemed like Tapring showed up quite quickly. Um, so Tapring messages them and she Spock just immediately tells Tapring he was like, Look, don't do not negotiate with these guys, just destroy the Enterprise. Do what you gotta do. Like we cannot let this ship um fall into enemy hands. Um, but Tapring's not having it, she's not just gonna open fire. She's trying to do some she's trying to negotiate, I sh- yeah. I should say. She's doing and, what she does. And Spock, like he interrupts her and he was like, you know, hey, I have something I need to tell you. And he like pretends to flirt with Chapel, like in the most awkward, like Vulcan, like, you know, third grade way. Like, I don't really like girls, but I do kind of thing. Right. <laughs> and so he tells to he's like, oh, I've got bad news. You know, I've been having an affair for the longest time and our relationship is a lie, you know. So, I mean, he's he's trying to convince Angel that they don't really have a relationship and that this trade isn't going to work because Tupring doesn't, you know, that they're broken up. Oh, and at one point, I think they actually break up, don't they? Well, they do. And I don't think he's trying to convince Angel. I think he's trying to convince Tupring. What's he trying to convince her of? That, hey, don't, you know, because he senses, okay, she's going to give in to Angel's demands. So he says, hey, you know, don't don't give everything up for me because I've been cheating on you with chapel. And then to says, Oh, okay. Well, if that's how it is fine, then yeah, we're, we're getting a divorce right now. 
they go through their little ceremony of breaking their bond, and then she says, okay, well, I guess that's it. And she nopes out. I just got the impression, I mean, like, clearly she's so logical, and this is, like, the most transparent ruse ever, like, that he was trying to send her some other signal. I don't know. It wasn't. And and, uh, Angel even says that while this is going on. She says, you know, he's clearly just trying to get you not to trade for his life. Yeah. Uh, but T'Pring believes him apparently, and and says, "Okay, we're we're no longer married, and I'm out of here." Yeah, they have well, a they have a visible breakup, right? Like she says, "I free you from our bond yeah, or whatever." Yeah. yeah, I think that's disputed by the end, but um, I do i I think this is an interesting like dynamic because I'm kind of on um, Angel's side a, a bit here when they talk about like um, that Vulcans are not like purely logical they they are controlled by some emotion and completely they are an angel is playing against that and it's kind of working uh but then um spock kind of uses that against angel in in with this whole theatrics i think that's his objective is to convince angel that he's convinced to pring that this is a real thing so ultimately I i think that's what it was and it's sort of using angel's medicine against them it totally and yeah angel doesn't believe this for a second she's no, like this right. is just totally a ruse you know don't buy into this come on he's your husband you can't just let him you know you can't just let me kill him but for a second but but once Tapring makes that show i think um angel seems to feel like they've lost their bargaining chip and so that seems to be success the, the way they succeed the only other thing I think that's worth talking about in this scene is you're a little bit ahead. So at one point, Spock kisses Chapel to convince to Pring that they are seriously having an affair. And you can tell, like, he was not into it. Like, at, at uh, first. No, I call foul on that. <laughs> well, I didn't. I, he gets into it. Like, dude, I, no, they're both you, super into it the whole okay. way. All right. Okay. Well, anyway, they have the, the he try, he kisses Chapel in front of Tupring to convince her that they're having an affair. And it's like a really good kiss. And it reminded me of the scene from The Matrix where the Merovingian's wife or whatever, like, she makes him kiss her. Yeah, because he's like, I want I want you to kiss me like you kiss Trinity, you know, because he like fa- he kind of phones it in at first. But then he's like, OK, then he really leans into it. Yeah. So, you know, like, like, make me believe you really are into this. So and the point is, is that Spock and Chapel have like this crazy good kiss. And there was definitely chemistry there. They, yeah, they had they had to make it believable, I think. And I think that was the, the whole. Yeah. To make and and there was some chem, like real chemistry yeah, there. I, which I don't the, think either one was having to act too much on that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, ultimately, so you know, to bring in Spock, you know, they do their breakup dance. You know, they're officially freed from each other's bond, and Angel just gets frustrated. She was like, "All right, this is this is stupid," and so she tries to destroy to ship. So she, uh, you know, she says, "You know, attack." this ship and you know right as they're about to hit the button the phasers and the shields on the enterprise go get shut down so my first reaction was if the whole point of this this exchange was that she wanted to bring to bring her uh, zavarius and zavarius is on this ship and she was like i'm just gonna blow the ship i don't have time for this like you just blew your whole plan right but it doesn't matter because it doesn't work 
So the the phasers and the shields go down. Right about then, the Serene Squall jumps in, and uh, Pike pops up on the view screen, and we see that Pike is essentially in the captain's chair. And his line to Angel, he says, I'm only going to tell you this once. Get the hell out of my chair. And so uh, clearly the tables have now turned because uh, Pike is in control of the Serene Squall, and the Enterprise has uh, no... I mean, they at least have no phasers and no shield, so I assume they don't have propulsion either. He asks Erica to, you know, basically take out their their impulse thrusters, but and, gently, uh, yeah, but gently, and she she hits it a little harder than intended, and gets this like <laughs> wide eyed look on her face that she's just done some not crazy damage, but she's she's hurt the Enterprise. Yeah, I think Ortegas, yeah, she does a little bit of damage, and and her response is, what does firing gently even mean? Like, how do you fire gently on a ship? Um, I I think we skip past it, but I think it's kind of implied. Um, So Pike having control of the Serene Squall, him being a Starfleet captain, he would have the ability to take remote control of his own ship. So that's what has happened here is that that Pike has issued remote commands to the Enterprise to shut itself down so that he can uh, take it back over. None of that is shown. It all happens off screen, but I just want to be clear that that's probably what they were intending. Yeah, they they say at some point that he used his command, his command codes remotely to lock the systems out. So uh, right about now, Angel realizes that uh, she doesn't have any chance to get out of this because the ship is shut down and Pike has her ship. So she has kind of like this necklace thing on and she, I don't know, reaches down and twists the necklace or hits a button on the necklace. And ultimately, um, she is beamed off of a bri- off of the bridge and onto there. Was, I assume it was like a little shuttle that was waiting yes. hiding behind one of the asteroids. Yep. So she makes she makes an escape. The rest of the pirates are stuck on the Enterprise and they are forced to surrender. So the Enterprise now has 40 odd pirates um, under lock and key in the brig. We see Pike back on the bridge and he does. uh, This is it's so cheesy, but I loved it so much. He imitates like a really bad pirate voice and he's like, make them walk the plank, you know, because they're pirates. Like he just kind of leans into it like he's having fun with it, like he was having fun making fun of Remy's cooking earlier. Yeah, it's Captain Pike telling dad jokes to the crew, basically. I was I was totally on board for it. Yeah, the crew is not having it. Um, Una (laughs) says something like, all right, you're that's enough. No more pirate jokes. (laughs) Um. So we see uh, T'Pring and Spock are now in his quarters and, you know, he's essentially apologizing to her for having to, um, you know, he tells her, like, I I didn't really have feelings for Chapel. And T'Pring was like, I never believed you could have feelings for Nurse Chapel. Like, I, I knew it was a ruse all along. Yeah, she's <laughs> like, like dri- almost dripping contempt. Like, yeah, I, kn- I knew you could never love her. At one point, um, T'Pring says she actually likes his human side because it gives him the passion to sell the kiss. She said, you know, if he had been 100% Vulcan and strictly logical and he had to do that kiss with Chapel, it would have been very um, bland. I I don't know. I I really have no idea whether T'Pring really believes this or what she's saying here. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't get a read for whether she is you know, fooling herself or really believes this or 
is just so blind with her Vulcan logic that she doesn't see what's going on. But I think this is the whole point is to show some dishonesty now between um, Spock and T'Pring. The 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 idea that T'Pring says, oh, there's no way you could have any feelings for Chapel obviously is disconcerting to Spock because maybe he does have some feelings and, but, but the, they, I guess it's just can't be shared between them, this idea that he, he could have feelings. And so that, so the, the fact that this kiss was so convincing has to be explained in her mind as a human thing, a human flaw that was, um, you know, beneficial in that moment, but not, but not real. Right. Sure. Yeah, I, I think deep down they both know what the deal is here, but they're in denial. Yeah, they're, yeah, there's just just some miscommunication, just a little bit of division between their characters. Yeah, yeah, I think they're they're lying to themselves more than they're lying to each other. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, ultimately, the scene ends with uh, Tapring and Spock. I think Tapring says uh, that they need they should perform a rebonding ritual. Which is, you know, I mean, it's just code for they want to yeah. have an aggressive cuddle session, as Ben likes to say. And I'm like, I was thinking about this. There's a lot of implication of people getting it on in this. Like Spock and T'Pring have at least a couple times. Like Alora and Pike got it on. I, I, of all the other Star Treks, like there's not other than like maybe the hollow suites that Quark sells. It's like sex is very off screen like it's but not here i i did that was one thing i did like about ds9 is they didn't make any attempt to hide the implications of the hollow suites right they're like yeah it's full-on it's a full-on brothel you can get whatever you want in the hollow suites in in next generation they were really cagey about it a couple times Uh, ultimately yeah i wrote i wrote i put i put down horny track like this this like everybody in in new or strange new worlds is just getting it on I mean, there's there's a pretty famous scene in Next Generation or fairly early on in the show where they're like they're transporting some, you know, ambassador or something who's this very beautiful woman that's that's playing the the character. And she's flirting with Riker hardcore as he's escorting her to to her quarters for the, you know, the trip they're taking. And then the second he gets out of her quarters, he gets his comm badge and says, uh, you know, record a bridge. If anyone needs me, I'll be in in holodeck four for the next hour. <laughs> and he just walks off. Like, okay, we all know what's what's happening here. He he's not going there to take a cold shower. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of of a lot more openly uh, sexual inferences and scenes happening in this show than we've seen in previous Star Treks. You know, it's all, I want to say, romantic. It's all—it's not a lot of... It's not just, yeah, they're not just having wild space well, orgies right, or anything. Yeah. I, it is worth noting that it is definitely more than previous um, iterations of Star Trek. Ultimately, the, the, the final, final scene in the episode, we see Spock and Chapel in sickbay. And uh, Spock wants to give Chapel a chance to talk about her feelings after this kiss. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. She's the one who needs to talk about her feelings. Yeah, totally, right. Spock. And yeah, Chapel says, "Oh, there's no feelings between us." And then there's like a super awkward pause after she says that. <laughs> yeah, everyone's lying to each other. Yeah, I mean, or it, to it, themselves. I mean, I should say everyone's it, lying to themselves. 
um, ultimately Spock says, uh, or actually Chapel asks Spock about the prisoner swap. She says, um, do you seemed like you knew perhaps who Angel was talking about? Um, this is a various name. Looked like it rang a bell for you. And what what Spock says is that uh, Ambassador Sarek, uh, who is his father, um, he had a child out of wedlock who rebuked his Vulcan side. So Spock has uh, Sarek is also Spock's father. Um, so Spock has a half brother um, who he believes um, that that's who Angel was attempting to trade for. Spock says that Zavarius is an assumed name. The Vulcan Angel, the Vulcan Angel was attempting to free is someone I was told to avoid at all cost. My half brother Cybok. And then yeah. that's it. And then star wipe and the credits roll. So there is uh, there's setting up. Um, clearly there's going to be some future tension with perhaps with his brother. Uh, also worth noting that again, Angel did escape. She's still alive. So she has the ability to come back in a future episode as well. Dun, dun, dun. Um, so uh, I'll go first. I'll, I'll give this episode. I, I actually really liked this episode just because it doesn't take itself seriously. It's kind of nice to have an episode where it's just kind of having fun with the tropes and you know, the, the, what was it? Oh, not alpha brag four and the bad cooking and the, the pike getting punched in the face and it not phasing him, you know, like this isn't, this isn't peak star Trek as far as science fiction goes, but it was a lot of fun. And I think the characters had fun with it. You know, they they got to um, explore a little bit outside of what the characters would normally do. I'm going to give this episode an eight out of ten. Um, I was I was kind of mixed. I had like I, I did find a lot of it like really funny and charming. Pike has a lot of great lines, uh, some great twists, um, you know, fun deception, the idea of going outside of uh, Federation space and, and just being totally owned was fun. I thought that was a cool idea. Um, a great guest star, you know, focusing on a dynamic villain was very reminiscent of other characters like Q or Moriarty or even Khan. But I did want to kind of reiterate, like, the idea of a non-binary character is, like, kind of tame for Star Trek standards. Like, it's it's like, okay, we have characters that are, we have Q that is omniscient and, and um, like super powerful, right? So having a character that's just like they, like it just seems, it just seems like at home and in Star Trek, you know, and just like kind of fine um, and good representation, which I liked. Um, but it did seem fairly shallow, not a lot of, philosophical exploration exploration despite some subtext um small nitpick i think you know a trans person um portraying a two-faced character is not the best representation but it's it's just a small nitpick and then no hammer again in the second episode yeah, this, is, of- this is the second episode in a row with no hammer and no uhura yeah, like what? What the heck? Um, so I knocked it a couple points, just mixed overall. I guess seven point five is where I landed, though. I enjoyed it. Okay, I actually asked you what you thought, uh, thinking that you would be trashing this one, uh, and then I would I would have some you know a little bit gentler take to to end on. 
but uh, since uh, that didn't happen, I'm just going all out. I, I didn't like this episode. Okay. Um, I, I enjoyed moments of it. The stuff with Pike being mercurial is fun. Um, I liked a lot of those moments, but overall this, this episode is just such a stretch. All of these plans that people are, are undertaking are so far fetched. There's just no way that Angel's plan would work. There's no way Pike's plan would work. <laughs> All of this stuff requires these huge Rube Goldberg machines of coincidence to line up perfectly for this stuff to happen. It it just took me out of it, particularly with the mutiny that we don't even see. It happens off screen and just suddenly, oh, yeah, they, the mutiny happened. It all worked how they wanted. They got control of the ship and here they are to save the day. It's a huge deus ex machina. I mean, I guess, well, I guess that's not true because they, they did. It didn't come out of nowhere. They did, you know, clearly lay the groundwork that this is what Pike was going to do. But then let me see Pike do his mutiny. Like, that would have been more fun than... He's just that charismatic. I know. But, I mean, that's, you know, we talked last time about how they've got whatever runtime they want for these episodes. So, you know, spend a couple minutes and let me see, at least let me see the mutiny start. Like, I don't need to see, you know, maybe it's, okay, here we go. We started this mutiny and then we skip to the end. That'd be fine. But... We go from literally they're in a cage and he's laid a few seeds to they've got control of the ship. And I, I would have liked to see a little more. I, I sure. just found that really far-fetched. Um, what, what was the name of the pirate? Faye or? Fran. Fran. There we go. Don't do don't do Fran like that. Yeah. Fran was too smart for that. <laughs> well, clearly she wasn't. But yeah. Well, I mean, she was, though. So I could see Fran going like, okay, I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm picking up what you're laying down here. Selling you the Klingons isn't a smart idea, um, and uh, Remy is an idiot. So yeah, I'm going to take over the ship. But why on earth would she let him out? She doesn't need him to mutiny. Everyone on the crew hates Remy. It's all of them against that one guy. Like, why didn't she just kill Remy and take over? Oh, and, that's a good point. Know, all of them into slavery. Anyway. Well, there was that one little bit of conversation where he's like, "Oh, you have friends too, right?" And then he's like, "Well, if you need more friends, you know, we're right." right but why here. would she need them? Yeah, maybe she needs friends. I don't know. Maybe, maybe she did. Maybe because too many pirates were over on the Enterprise, she didn't have enough maybe, left. I don't know. And then, and then, yeah, this whole plan of angels is so convoluted. Yeah, and it it starts with her just showing up and going, "Hey, I'm this other person, and I need you to come with me out to the outskirts of the Federation and beyond to save these colonists." I have no proof that they're there. I have no proof I am who I say I am. In fact, I'm trying to take someone's identity, and and you could easily verify that I'm not who I'm saying I am. It just, it just was, it, it strained the bounds of logic so much that uh, the Vulcans had to be just cringing through this whole thing. <laughs> um, they they led they led them outside of Federation space. Doesn't isn't that like pretty significant? Isn't yeah, a, yeah. Like, and all the, I mean, they just have the word of this one person that they're going to go do that for without checking into anything. I, it just, again, it, yeah. I, I understand that Star Trek is an hour long episodic show. They're not going to be able to lay the groundwork for everything. Some things you just have to accept. I, I can, I can get there a lot of the time, but this one had just so many hoops that <laughs> you had to turn your brain off for that I. I was pulled out of it way too much. Again, there's fun moments in the show. 
I liked a lot of the character interactions here. These are great characters, and it's fun to watch them interact with each other. So I, I didn't sit there like hating on this the whole time I was watching it. I was I was having a good time while I was watching the episode. But at the end, when I thought back on it, I'm like, man, that just wasn't very good. I'm going to give this one a five. Okay. Um, definitely my least favorite episode so far. I, th- I think I, I kind of looked at this episode that, that it's definitely not the strongest episode. You're right there. And all the points that you make are totally valid about it. Not being, there are definitely plot holes in this, but I kind of look at this like a next generation episode where the, enter- where the holodeck go- goes haywire and data gets stuck on the, enter- on the holodeck as Sherlock Holmes or whatever. Like sure. it's totally and completely far-fetched, but sometimes it's fun to have those episodes where, you know, you just, don't take yourself quite so seriously. Sure, but if you're going to do that, then I better be getting something as fun as Data as Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> okay, let me ask you this, Ben. So yeah. this writer is the same writer who did Memento Mori. Okay. And I actually like this episode better than Memento Mori. So what? What like if you're comparing the two? No, I like Memento Mori better. Um, Memento Mori was one I didn't really care for that much. Uh, I, I, I liked the premise a lot, but I thought the execution was pretty weak. I thought some of the writing was, was weak, frankly. And, uh, so I'm not surprised this is written by the same person. Um, but, uh, I liked Memento Mori a little better. This one I thought had bigger, you know, uh, the plot holes in this were this, were as big as the distance between those asteroids should have been. (laughs) I know, I know that the whole asteroid field thing is super, super nitpicky. That's not why it is. So that's just me being a, a dumb nerd. For what it's for what it's worth, uh, I and I don't want to go into too much detail because I don't want to ruin this for the rest of you guys. You okay. made a couple comments that Hammer hasn't been in the last two episodes. Hammer comes back with with a vengeance, so don't worry. Okay. And the other thing, uh, of all the episodes in season one, this episode is rated the second lowest. So this episode okay. was not particularly rated well. Is the lowest one we've seen? I don't want to. Ex- I don't want to go into it. Yeah, I don't want to ruin okay. it for you. Okay. Um, last thing I'm going to say is, uh, if you're going to dip into the Star Trek well, and I mean this whole thing is doing that. I mean this it's a prequel show. We're using established characters and everything. But you know, if you're going to go back to the well and grab some old characters, we're going to get Cybok. Really. <laughs> Okay, this is really what I wanted. I really wanted to get your opinion on it because apparently Cybok is like a universally kind of hated. Character. He's the worst Star Trek villain of all time, and it's not even close. But don't you think it might be interesting to like kind of reinvent? No, that no. Okay, <laughs> like, I don't. I mean, I don't remember like as the movie five, Star Trek Five. You don't remember it because you've blocked out the trauma. Well, okay. In in Strange New Worlds defense. Captain Pike was a completely horrible, terrible throwaway character, and they made an entire show out of him. So no, he wasn't. That he's one of the most ex- that sled is one of the most expressive Star Trek characters of oh, all time. Come on, like no way. Like, it, it, dude, until Strange New World. Well, I guess until Discovery, no one even knew who Captain Pike was. So, like, they gave him a backstory that's really interesting. I'm, I'm just saying that they could do it with Cybok too. Let's, oh, I'm not saying. I know. I'm. I'm mostly being hyperbolic. Sure, if they if the writing is good, they could do anything with anybody. It just, it's just. I'm surprised that they're going to grab a character from Star Trek Five and bring them back. Um, I would think they would want to wash their hands of that whole thing. But I'm I'm really curious about Cybok. You know, 
He's got a, a lover that's non-binary. He's very anti-emotions. The way they built this up a bit is got me kind of excited to see Cybok and like what the he is as an antithesis to the Vulcan logic. You know, like what what could we get, see from that? So. Well, you know, the uh, the one thing I'll give Star Trek Five credit for, I, God, I can't even believe I'm saying this, um, is that they're like, okay, well, Cybok's going to be the opposite of Spock. He's going to be this Vulcan who's abandoned logic. They didn't make him some sinister, really evil guy. They just made him like this this free love hippie guy, which kind of makes sense. Yeah, if you're the Vulcan who's going to just abandon logic, it doesn't mean you're going to be this psychopath mass murderer. You're just Hey, I'm just going to be freewheeling and fancy free and wear my sandals and my robe and have a beard and uh, just have a good time. He does have a beard in that shot, by the way. Just yeah, saying. yeah. Because as we've established uh, in Star Trek, if you're unless you're Will Riker, if you have a beard, it means you're you're dealing with some kind of mental crisis. Indeed. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I just it was it was a weird thing for me that they the whole time I was like, yeah, who's this guy they're talking about? This sounds like some you know, we're setting up this villain for the future. This this is going to be interesting. And then it's Cybok. They're like, okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, he could, be the again, Joker. he could be the Joker to Spock Batman. It could if, you know, yeah. In the hands of a good writer, they can probably do great things with it. So I, I, I won't prejudge it, but I just, it struck me as a weird idea to go to your, your most hated character in your franchise and bring him back. If it makes you feel any better, Ben, I don't even remember Cyborg, and I consider myself a Star Trek nerd. So that's, well, there you go. That's how that's how important he I is. I mean, it'd, it'd be like you know the Star Wars sequel trilogy bringing back Jar Jar Binks or something. I mean, just why? Even if you do it well, like why would you even try? Why do you? Okay. It's it's so radioactive. Why do you want to go there? <laughs> anyway, well, I think that's uh, enough Cyborg hate for one evening. Okay. And uh, so I'm confident that uh, we're on an upward swing for the rest of the season after this episode. Okay. Well, uh, we'll be back in uh, probably a week. Okay. I will uh, try to um, save up my pain for Cybok until then. (laughs) I need my pain.